0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Good morning, church. What a wonderful, wonderful time we've had already this morning, praising our God together. Uh, first things first, I want to bring greetings from Pastor Terry. Uh, if you are really new here, you might not know that Pastor Terry and his wife Pat have been on a sabbatical for the, the past few months, and they're, they have one month left or so. Uh, Right now, Pat is traveling in South America together with Melanie Friesen, who's also from our church, and uh, Terry is out at his cabin. And there were a few of us who uh, joined him in his cabin uh, last week just for a day and had a really, really fun time, and he sends his greetings to all of you, and he sends a picture as well. And uh, before I show it to you, I want to give you a bit of a warning, because sabbatical, and I know this from experience, (laughs) sabbatical does weird stuff to a guy. So, um... (laughs) It's weird, it's strange. (laughs) He's got the fastest growing hair of anybody I've ever seen. In case anybody's panicking, that is kind of photoshopped a little bit. (laughs) This morning we're looking at John chapter 15, and we're really going to be focusing just on verses 1 to 11. Uh, And even that, in those 11 verses, they deserve a sermon series all by themselves. There is so, so much in these verses. Uh, And we're going to dig as deep as we can, and we are going to take as much as we can from this scripture this morning. So uh, please turn with me to John chapter 15, uh, and it's verses 1 to 11. And before we get into it, please join with me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are constant, and that your word is constant, and it is always true. We thank you that we have your scripture to tell us what is true about you and about who we are in relation to, to you. I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit who illuminates this scripture for us, and I pray this morning that you would work in our hearts and in this place, opening up your word and making it alive. Please use me, or even in spite of me, I pray that you would make this a time of of growing because of your word to us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. John 15 is pretty much a a seamless uh, continuation from John 14. Uh, Last week, the other Kevin, uh, the the young Kevin... (laughs) I just aged 10 years right now when I said that. (laughs) The young Kevin preached on uh, chapter 14... And you'll remember that 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 passage took place right at the end of the Last Supper. So the disciples and Jesus, they're still in the upper room together. And uh, lots of things have happened. Jesus has washed their feet. That's what uh, Pastor Doug preached on the week previous. Uh, And last week, he proclaimed to his disciples those glorious words that he is the way to salvation. In fact, he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And the only way to have relationship with God Is through belief in him. And we heard that last week. And now, at the end of that chapter, the very last words, Jesus says, Now let us go from here. So they've been in the upper room, they've left the room, and now they're walking along the path and they're heading for the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is basically saying, So about that, about what I was saying to you at the table, picture a vine. And he's continuing on now with this new word picture of a vine. And that's how this starts. So we're going to read this together, just verses 1 to 11. I invite you to stand as I read God's word. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. He is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Amen. Please have a seat. <clears throat> Excuse me. So any analogy is just an analogy. Any analogy can be stretched only so far, but this particular picture, the vine, is it's remarkable. It's remarkable in how it communicates truth, for a couple of very important reasons. First of all, to start off with, even just by referring to himself as a vine, Jesus is saying something hugely profound that the disciples would have understood. You see, there are a good number of times in the Old Testament where Israel, the nation of Israel, is referred to as a vine. And in these writings, just like in this passage, God is the gardener, and he's planted a vine the nation of Israel. And in most of those passages in the Old Testament, those passages are used to say that the vine is not producing fruit, and it's kind of a lamentation of what is going on in the nation of Israel. But in some of those passages, uh, it's it's a hopeful passage where it talks about the future, where one day the vine is going to bear fruit. And Jesus is saying, I'm that vine. Before me, salvation was found in the Mosaic Law, Salvation was found in being part of the nation of Israel, an earthly nation. But now, salvation is found in me. And again, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. And that's, that was a huge paradigm shift for the people of that time, and it, it still is, because God's nation in the Old Testament was a physical nation. It was a physical kingdom, but it doesn't have borders anymore. His kingdom used to be an earthly kingdom, but now it's a spiritual kingdom. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, Paul says to all Christians, he's saying this to us, but you, but you, not just Israel, but all Christians are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Jesus is making it clear that we are allowed into his spiritual kingdom, even though we are not in the nation of Israel, we are adopted into the nation of Israel, spiritually, through faith, through faith in him, because now he is the vine. So that's one reason why this passage is such an amazing word picture, and it describes it so, so well. But the other reason has to do with the actual nature of a vine. You see, a grape vine has only one purpose, and that is to produce grapes. Even the wood of a grapevine is completely useless. It is too soft to be used for building or anything like that. Uh, in the Old Testament, and in, in the laws that had to do with the temple, when people uh, were, were to bring wood as an offering, if there was any wood offerings, uh, the wood of a grapevine was prohibited. So even for that, there was no use. There is nothing that a grapevine can do except produce grapes. Without producing fruit, this vine has no use reason to be so this is really a statement about purpose about our purpose if we are in the vine if jesus is the vine and we are the branches this is about purpose our purpose is to bear fruit and that's what we're made for and that's why we are in the vine and if that's true if bearing fruit is our purpose then it's incredibly important incredibly important for us to understand what it means to bear fruit. In the analogy, it's grapes. But in real life, what exactly are we meant to be producing? And it's not as easy as one might think in looking at the passage. Uh, There are a lot of uh, debaters about this. Some Bible commentators believe that fruit in these verses is referring to the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That would have made for a very neat and tidy sermon, and it would have taken me a lot less time to write this. But uh, that's, that's, not what, that's not all of what it is. I, I believe that, that that's part of what this is referring to in this passage. But there's a lot more, more to it than that. There are other commentators who believe that fruit refers to the Great Commission, refers to the amount of people that we bring to Christ. Jesus says that some are planters and some are waterers and some are harvesters. That whole process of bringing people into the kingdom and discipling them. And there are some who say that that's that's what fruit is. And there are some things in this this chapter, not in these 11 verses, but later, that kind of point in that direction uh, where Jesus says in verse 16, I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And the word last... If you look at what that is in Greek, it's the word meno. And that same word is translated as remain. And we see remain in this passage many, many times. And it is spoken to Christians. So it makes sense that, that, that when he says, go and bear fruit that will last, he's talking to making new Christians. So evangelism, discipleship, that's part of what fruit is too. But not all of it. You see, Jesus has been talking with these same guys these disciples, he's been talking to them for three years, and we've got so much of what he said in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And he's given them instructions over and over again about how to be Christ like, how to live morally, how to deal with conflict, how to treat one another, how to be generous to those in need, how to pray, how to trust, and the list goes on and on. And all of it is in the context of serving and honoring God. So I believe that it's clear that when he talks to the disciples about bearing fruit, that it would be obvious to them that the purpose of honoring the Father is our purpose, just as it is his purpose. Romans 11 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And that is why the gardener is pruning the branches that are already producing and removing the branches that are not, because he is a God who deserves to be honored, and the fruit is what honors him. I read an article a little while ago. It was an interview with a, with a movie star, a famous movie star. And he grew up in the church, but he walked away from the church. He said, I couldn't bring myself to worship a God that made it all about him. I couldn't bring myself to worship a God that was wanting only to be glorified. What an ignorant thing to say. What an ignorant thing to say. Because God is God. If he were anyone else, if it were any of us saying that, well, that would be ridiculously arrogant. But we're not God. He is God, and everything is for his pleasure. Everything is for his honor. That is just what is. That is what rightfully is. And if we can't accept that, then we're, we're in the wrong universe. Because that's what this universe is. The honoring of God. So when we bear fruit, or rather we bear fruit when we live practically in a way that honors God, that's what fruit is. When we live in a way that shows that we are in a kingdom and Christ is our king. And that includes the fruit of the Spirit, that includes making new disciples, and that includes Christ-likeness in our life. Everything that honors God is what bears fruit. That is what fruit is. And our Father, the gardener, is... Personally involved in this process by pruning every fruit, every fruit bearing branch, in order to encourage more fruit. That is what he is doing in our lives. I don't know anything about plants. I'm, I'm a plant idiot, I think. Um, I, I had a plant when I first got this office in this church. I, I bought a plant. I thought, you know, offices should have plants, and so I bought one. And, uh, and then not very long after that, somebody came to visit me in my office, and they noticed this plant that was at death's door, basically. And they, they took it from me. Uh, they, they, they took it home uh, with them. I've heard that it's doing well. It's never coming back, I'm pretty sure. And then there was a time when I was, when I was about 20 that somebody gave me a cactus, a little cactus. And I figured, well, you can't kill a cactus. But it turns out they need water sometimes. I didn't know why they should need water, they're from the desert, but anyways. So I didn't do anything with this cactus, and then one day, and this is the part that I told this to Heather Orkentine because she works in a greenhouse, and she didn't believe me, but it's true. One day I woke up, and the cactus had broken off and was lying on the, on the table beside the pot. And I, I figure it was trying to make a break for it, is what I think it was, <laughs> it was trying to do. So I don't know anything about plants. But the point is, is... I've been trying to preach this sermon about a vine, so I did call Heather this week. I figured she owns a greenhouse, she's got to know some stuff about plants, and she does, and uh, so we talked about pruning. And she said, in the process of pruning, it often is, and really often should be, a very drastic thing. If you want your plant to grow more fruit, you have to be ruthless. You have to be bold in cutting it back. You have to remove chunks of the plant so that it will grow stronger and more fruitful. And that's what the Father does in my life and in your life. If we are in the vine, that's what he's doing. In Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. As long as we are in the vine, as long as we are alive on this earth, God the Father is going to mercifully but significantly work in us, removing things in us that get in the way of living a life that honors the kingdom, because that's our purpose. And sometimes this will be uncomfortable. Sometimes this is going to hurt. We sing a song here sometimes uh, called All Is Well. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a favorite song here. It's one of them. It's a song that we sing with, with, umph, with gusto before the Lord. And some of the words are this. He lowers us to raise us so that we might sing his praises. Whatever is his way, all is well. Or another verse, he makes us rich and poor, that we might trust him more, whatever is his way, all is well. That is a song about pruning. If you are in the vine, in Christ, and there is something in your life that you are idolizing ahead of Christ, you can bet that God the Father is going to go after it, and very quite possibly strip you of it, because he's merciful like that. clear in this passage that fruit grows as a result of us remaining in Christ or abiding, depending on your translation. I'll be using those two words kind of interchangeably today, remaining and abiding. And we see it over and over again. In fact, that word, uh, the word meno uh, in in Greek, is used ten times just just in this chapter alone. So it's super important for us to come to an understanding, what does it mean to remain? And again, not as easy as you might think. Uh, there's some digging that needs to be done. Uh, But before we look at that, we need to look quickly at verse 3, where Jesus stops to say to his disciples before this, he says, And you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. I think that Jesus says this to them to make it clear that they are already in the vine. And he uses the word clean, partly because... because, uh, the word clean in Greek and the word prune come from the same root. So there's a, there's a relationship there. But more than that, or in addition to that, uh, he, he, I think he used this word clean because not more than an hour before this, Jesus was talking about cleanliness. He was washing their feet. And you'll remember a couple of weeks ago when, when Doug preached on this, uh, Jesus said to them, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And ultimately, he meant that no one can be in him without having experienced the cleansing power of the cross. Of course, his death on the cross hasn't happened yet at this point. In fact, it's happening the next day, which is very significant that he's saying this now, that tomorrow, tomorrow, Jesus is going to be betrayed, actually later tonight, and tomorrow he's going to be crucified on the cross. And the the disciples don't really understand all of that, but they have heard enough of Jesus' word spoken to them that they, are already having a, that they already have a saving understanding of Christ being the forgiver of sin. And so the message from Jesus here is, if you have recognized the sin in your life and have entrusted me for your salvation, you are safe in the vine. You are safe in me. So now you can abide in me. Now you can live in me. You can live your life in me. That's taking us closer to what it is to abide and remain. I, I, used, to think, I used to think that to abide meant to rest. I think we, we often say that, resting in Christ. And it does. But in studying these passages in John, and in looking at the Greek word and all the different ways that that Greek word is used, and looking at some of the words in and around the context of, of, of John 15, I've come to realize that to abide in Christ is much more active and much more intentional than only resting. It's a mixture of both resting in Christ and actively seeking and living for Christ. First, on the resting side of things, Jesus says in verse 9 and 10, to remain in his love. A couple of weeks ago, I went for a walk. Um, Sometimes I'll go for a walk, and my intention uh, was, was to spend this time in prayer. Uh, it was an evening, it was beautiful outside, and I was walking along in our neighborhood uh, to have a prayer time with God. And, and I did that. It was, I did uh, spend some time sharing some things from my heart with the Lord. But then it became much more than that, much different than that. It became a, me just resting in the knowledge that Christ loves me exactly where I'm at. It came me resting and joyfully resting in the, in, in the knowledge that his, his grace for me is unconditional. We've sung songs like this today already. Uh, just the idea that, that God loves us if we are in the vine. And for me, that was a profound, profound walk. And I came away feeling a new level of gratitude from our relationship with Christ. So that's resting. But abiding is also very active. In last week's chapter, chapter 14, Jesus first says to his disciples in verse 21, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And then in verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will abide with him. It's clear in this passage, because it says it over and over again in chapter 15, God abides in us as we abide in him. And in this context, our abiding in him includes learning his teaching and obeying his commands. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him, in some translations. So when Jesus says, abide in me, and I will abide in you, I think he's talking about three basic things. Number one, he's talking about resting in his love, and all of the trusting, and all of the gratitude, all of the enjoying that comes along with resting in his love. Number two, learning about him and teaching, and his teaching through his word, and all the growing and understanding and the discovering of God's character that comes with that. And number three, obeying him, and submitting to Him, and all of the joy and the sense of purpose that we have in honoring God that comes with that. In a nutshell, to abide in Christ is to make our whole life about His love and about His Lordship. To make our whole life about living in Him and about living for Him. That is remaining. That is abiding. Some of that is actually a lot like the story that we heard this morning. Um, The story that Julia read. What a great, great story. The wooden puppet Punchinello is going to go see Eli every day. And if he keeps going to see Eli every day, he's going to have a, a greater understanding of who Eli is. He's going to have a greater understanding of who he is in relationship to Eli. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. And I'm I'm your child, that's who I am. And with that perspective comes living in Christ, living life for God. And the more that we spend time in God, in Christ, the more that we spend time learning about him and resting in him, we're going to grow. And the more that we grow, the more we're going to be able to bear fruit. Because it is not by our power that kingdom-honoring fruit can be produced. It is only by the power of the Lord who abides in us by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in verse 5 in this chapter, he says, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Creating the fruit is not up to us. Creating fruit is not up to us. We should not be primarily focusing on the fruit, but we often do. I think that this is one of the biggest struggles in the church. And not just this church here, but I think the church in general. I think sometimes we decide what good fruit should look like, and then we try to emulate that, rather than abide in Christ. We try to act like a Christian should act, without seeking Him to change us from the inside out. I think we should be focusing less on behavior, and more on abiding, because fruitful behavior and positive change doesn't come from our willpower. It can't come from our willpower, but rather it comes from abiding in Christ. How often when we're struggling with sin, do we just focus trying harder not to sin? And yes, we should try to not sin against God, but the greatest strength in dealing with sin is always, always going to be found by resting in the love of Christ and seeking Him in His Word. That's what remaining is and that's where where strength is going to be in dealing with sinful behavior. Or we teach our kids to live out the fruits of the Spirit, and we should teach them about that. But most importantly, we need to be directing them and ourselves to abiding in Christ, because we can't do anything that truly honors God without Him working in us. If, If we're just trying to make fruit, that's not real fruit. Real fruit comes from abiding in Christ. Or any kind of ministry that seems good, or exciting, but isn't coming from our hearts. It isn't coming from hearts that are abiding in Christ. That's not, that's not good fruit either. In Isaiah 29, God says about the people of Israel, These people come near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Or sometimes, we can be tempted to look at good fruit kind of experiences in order to feel like Christians, instead of taking the time to grow in Christ by remaining in Him. I bought this yesterday. It's doomed. (laughs) This is a a Venus flytrap, in case you didn't know. Uh, I bought it for today's sermon. I'm going to keep it in my office. I'm hoping that it's going to live for a while. There's some people that are taking bets against that, but that's that's okay, we're going to persevere. This kind of plant, it originally comes from North and South Carolina, And it grows, or originally, it it, it has grown in the boggy soil there, uh, in some parts of those places, um, and it's nutrient-poor soil. So because the soil is nutrient-poor, a Venus flytrap has to get its, its, its nourishment, its nutrients, from eating insects. And I think that sometimes we as Christians are tempted to do kind of something similar to that. We look for spiritual growth in Christian experiences. Because that's easy. Instead of drawing it from the vine by remaining like we're meant to. I've been in this church for for 21 years now. And over the years, at different times, I've had people say to me, and in a very encouraging way, like totally, totally encouraging, truly, uh, but saying things like, I'm glad for this kind of preaching style. If it wasn't for that, I'd probably leave this church. Or, I'm glad for this kind of music style. If it wasn't for that, I'd probably leave this church. Do you know what most of those people have in common? They're not here anymore. They've mostly moved on. They had what they thought that they wanted because those were positive comments. They were glad for what was here. But they moved on to somewhere else because that stuff stuff like style, stuff like energy, even exciting ministry opportunities, that stuff is never enough, and it's never going to be enough. It's always going to run out. Worship, missions, Christian conferences, these things are excellent. They're excellent. But what makes them excellent is when we go to those things as people who are abiding in Christ, not going to those things like a Venus flytrap, trying to get nourishment from those things in order to be Christian. That's completely, completely backwards. As a church, we always need to be moving towards abiding or remaining, rather than focusing on fruit. And if we are abiding in Christ, God honoring fruit is guaranteed. Before we finish this morning, I want to focus quickly on, on two things. There's more things than that in this passage. We're not going to be able to get to everything, but there's two things I want to quickly focus on. One of them actually isn't the real point of this passage. And the other one truly is. But the first one is perhaps the elephant in the room. I think for some of you, as soon as we started reading this passage this morning, you started to wonder, what in the world should we do with verses that talk about God the Father cutting off the branches that bear fruit? Or what in the world do we do with words about being like a branch that is picked up and thrown into a fire? You might be wondering how this fits with the issue of eternal security or whether or not a Christian can truly lose his salvation. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, and partly because I don't believe that the issue of eternal security was at all Jesus' priority in, in saying these words. He was focusing on other things. He was focusing on abide in me, produce fruit, honor the Father. That's that's Jesus's thought process in my best understanding today. But yet there are words that we we need to try to understand. Uh, If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. And so the question that inevitably arises in reading these verses is this. Is someone who by faith has already been in Christ, can that person reject Christ? Can that person lose their eternal salvation? In other words, after you are a child of God, is it still possible to have that status removed or revoked? After all, in verse, uh, I think it's verse 2, Jesus says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So this is a tough question, and there are a number of different kinds of thoughts about it. First of all, there are some who believe that this analogy was never meant to stretch that far. And that in this passage, Jesus is not at all intending to make a comment about eternal security, eternal punishment. In this view, in that view, these verses about being cut off from the vine are merely an extension of, of the verses about pruning. It's just making a comment on how drastic God the Father will be, and can be, and sometimes is, in the pruning of the branches so that they will grow more fruit. A second view is that people who are in Christ still indeed have the option of rejecting Christ with their life and therefore being removed from the vine. And in the cases of verses like John ten twenty eight, where it says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The contender of this view will say, well, you could still jump out of, my, out of his hand. That that there is still a walking away that if you reject Christ completely and say, I have no part with you, that that Christ will will honor that. And a third view is that once someone is a child of God, then God is always going to be their father. You know, if my kids decided one day they didn't want to be my child anymore, I'm still going to be their father. So in this way of thinking, the person who is no longer walking with the Lord is either Either a mixed-up child of God, still, or uh, that person never did truly commit themselves to Christ in the first place. Maybe Maybe they relied on a formulaic acceptance prayer as if it were some kind of fire insurance, but never actually trusted themselves to the Lord, and now has simply walked away from a faith that actually wasn't real to begin with. Those are three views. And this might sound anticlimactic, But I have to stand here this morning and say that I don't know for sure which view I take. In my adult life, I've flip-flopped on this a few times. Um, I will say, uh, first of all, a few years ago, even when I gave my ordination paper, that I tended towards towards the second view, that somebody can jump. But lately, I've I've tended towards the, the third view, that once you are a child of God, you always are. But I can say definitively what it is. Um, when I first started coming to this church those years ago, uh, Dave Henkelman was the pastor, and he said something like this. He said, "If you're going to ride in the back of a pickup truck, and if you don't want to fall out the back, stay as close to the cab as you can." And I guess what I and that kind of works for me. First of all, um, I think I would say for me that whichever view in the end, is the right view, I have no intention of personally finding out. My intention is to remain in Christ. But I know that many of us, including me, in a, in a big, big way, many of us have loved ones in our life that we worry about because at one time they proclaimed Christ and they said they were a Christian and there seemed to be fruit and all of that, and then now they no longer are following him. This is an important issue to us because of, because of the, the, the relationships that we have, and it's an important issue to me. But as I said, I don't, I don't think it's a primary point in what Jesus is saying in this passage. So we're going to continue the conversation in other ways, but not, not just now. Something that is a primary point, though, in this passage is the theme of joy. I think that the joy maybe is the primary point in this passage. In verse 11, Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It is Jesus' joy, it is Jesus' greatest joy to bring honor to his Father. And He is inviting us, you and I, to join with him, to share in his joy by abiding in him so that we can take part in honoring his Father. Next week, I'm going to Saskatchewan. I'm not going to be here next Sunday. Uh, I'm going to Saskatchewan to attend the wedding of a girl that I know. Uh, This is her picture. It's it's not a recent picture, just so you know. But honestly, it feels recent to me. Uh, A couple of my best friends from Bible college, they got married and had a family, and this is the first time that a peer of mine, somebody my age, has a daughter or a child that is getting married. Which is crazy, because I haven't aged at all, I figured. (laughs) Anyway, I I love this family so terribly much. I've invested relationally a lot in this family. And so I'm looking forward to that day. Next, Next Saturday. And it's a day that has absolutely nothing to do with me. But it's going to be one of the best days ever. Because I'm going to see Alicia get married. This is going to be her day. And I'm going to have so much joy in being there to see it. And that's That's how it is meant to be with us in God. Our greatest joy here on earth is meant to be the honoring of God. It is not about us. This is also the greatest joy of Jesus. In fact, it is the ultimate reason that He was obedient to the point of death on a cross. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, For the joy set before Him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So for the joy set before us, we remain in Christ. We rest in His love, we seek Him in His word, and we submit to Jesus Christ as our King for the joy set before us. And so here he invites us to do that, so that we can experience the privilege of bearing God-honoring fruit in our lives and our actions, that our joy, that our joy may be complete. Because to say it all in one breath, the purpose and joy of life is to honor God. We can only honor God by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And that is very connected to the degree to which we live lives that abide in Christ. Resting in his love, seeking him in his word, and truly submitting to his kingship, amen. I'm gonna call the worship team to come forward. And as they do, let's ask ourselves this, okay? What What is my life really about? What is my life really all about? And what would it mean for me to live a life that abides more deeply in Christ? Based on what we've heard today about what remaining is, what would it mean for me to live a life that abides more deeply in Christ? There's one verse, an important verse, that we did not have a chance or time to touch on today. Jesus says in verse seven, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. And I'm convinced that the more that we spend our time, and this isn't about legalistically spending time, but the focus of our hearts if we are spending the focus of our hearts resting in the love of God, seeking to understand him in his word, and choosing to submit to Christ as king of the kingdom that we are in, if our prayers are coming out of that, those are prayers that we can have a lot of confidence that God is going to answer. So I invite you as we close this service, please pray with me from that place. Lord, we rejoice that in you, in the vine, we are safe. We rejoice that all is well with our soul in all the most important ways. We rejoice That you, the gardener, care enough about us that you would prune us. That you care enough about us that you would help us to grow in the fruit that we bear so that we can have the joy, just as your son Jesus does, of producing fruit and seeing you honored. I pray, Lord. That your kingdom will come for all of eternity and also in a here and now kind of way that you would grow your kingdom in us knowing that where you are worshiped is where your kingdom is that you would grow your kingdom in us and that you would also grow your kingdom through us and we see your design here in john 15 father we see your design how you've made things to be so we ask, according to your design, that you would help us to remain in you, to abide in you, both passively resting and actively seeking, both living in you and living for you. I pray that we would, re- would remain in you and abide in you, and I pray that you would, by your power, through your spirit who dwells in us, who abides in us, that we would produce much fruit for your kingdom. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Have a blessed day.